This podcast deals with adult subject matter, including depictions of drug addiction, prostitution, sexual assault, and rape. Parental guidance is suggested. Officer Daniel Holtzclaw with the police department for three years is accused of raping and sexually assaulting women he pulled over while on the job. He said, come on, come on, just a minute, just a minute. I said, sir, I can't do this. I said, you want to shoot. Tell me your description of him. He's black. He's okay. Black male. What did your daughter tell you? She said, I met this really hot cop. So this is good evidence? Well, you tell me. The following episode contains investigative events which occurred between August 29th and September 5th, 2014. Welcome back to Bates Investigates, Season 1, In Defense of Daniel Holtzclaw. I am your host, private investigator and original member of Daniel Holtzclaw's jury trial defense team, Brian Bates, and this is Episode 21. Up to this point in the investigative timeline, we've dove deep into the allegations of eight accusers, all black females in the northeast part of Oklahoma City, most of which having self-disclosed histories of drugs and or prostitution, and who range in age from 37 to 57 years old. It's been just over two months since the June 18, 2014 complaint by Janie Liggins that started the investigation. As for 28-year-old Oklahoma City Police Officer Daniel Holtzclaw, he's been sitting in the Oklahoma County Jail on a $5 million bond for the last five days, since his arrest on August 21, 2014. In the meantime, Daniel's father, Eric Holtzclaw, who is a police lieutenant in another Oklahoma town, has retained high-profile criminal defense attorney Scott Adams to represent his son. We spoke briefly with Mr. Adams in episode 17. On August 29th of 2014, Officer Daniel Holtzclaw was once again breaking news when Oklahoma County District Attorney David Prater formally filed 16 felony charges against him. The following is from KWTV News 9 in Oklahoma City, as reported by Kelly Ogle, Amanda Taylor, and Adriana Ivashinsky. Good evening, glad you're with us. Topping the news, the DA charges the Oklahoma City police officer accused of preying on and sexually assaulting women while he was on patrol. Officer Daniel Holtzclaw is in the Oklahoma County Jail on a $5 million bond, and we've now learned he's facing several new counts. News 9's crime tracker Adriana Vashinsky is live at the Oklahoma County Courthouse with more on this. Adriana? Amanda, these are the charges right here. The DA has filed a total of 16 felony counts. That is seven more than Holtzclaw was originally facing when he was jailed last week. The charges include allegations of sexual battery, indecent exposure, first-degree burglary, stalking, forcible oral sodomy, and rape. Police say originally they had identified seven women who say Holtzclaw either approached them during a traffic stop or while they were walking down the street in his patrol area. But late today, police revealed that they have identified another woman who claims she, too, was victimized by this officer, bringing the total number now to eight. This eighth victim claims she 
she was walking in the area of Northeast 14th and Jordan on April 24th when Officer Holtzclaw stopped her, drove her home to her house, forced her to perform oral sex on him, and then raped her. Court papers state the burglary charge stems from a report that Holtzclaw broke into one of the other victims' homes while she was not there. Turns out her boyfriend was, and court papers state he told police he did not let Holtzclaw in and that all the doors were locked. Now, Holtzclaw's attorney, Scott Adams, filed this motion to reduce his bond, claiming that Officer Holtzclaw is not a flight risk and not a danger to the society. He's trying to reduce that $5 million bond again. But the judge who set that bond says the evidence shows that Holtzclaw knew personal information about his victims, and then he sought them out. And in her eyes, that makes him a danger indeed. Reporting live in downtown Oklahoma City, Adriana Ivashin. News 9. And speaking of that bond, Hulsclaw's attorney has asked for the bond to be reduced to $139,000. Now that additional charges have been filed, though, that number might change. I recently spoke again with former Oklahoma County Assistant Prosecutor Angela Sonagera and asked her to explain the process leading up to this point. Initially, Officer Hulsclaw um, was arrested on nine complaints and held on a $5 million cash bond. The criminal complaints consisted of one count of rape in the first degree, one count of rape by instrumentation, three counts of forcible oral sodomy, two counts of sexual battery, and two counts of indecent exposure. Those weren't charges at this point, they were just criminal complaints. And again, as a reminder, what is the process and the difference between, say, a criminal complaint and criminal charges? Well, when detectives get to a certain point in their investigation, they can seek a warrant for arrest based on one or more of the criminal complaints. They can also seek the input of a prosecutor or they can arrest someone on a complaint without the input of a prosecutor. However, tr criminal charges are the direct result of a prosecutor reviewing what we've referred to in the past as a blue sheet and with information on it about the charges and witnesses, etc., that is given to them by the investigators. Based on that information that's on the blue sheet, uh, and also information from the police reports and probably other sources, the uh, prosecutor files the actual criminal charges. In this case, that just that occurred just eight days after Officer Holt's call was arrested on the initial complaints. The formal charges were filed on August 29th of 2014, and they almost doubled in number from nine complaints to 16 criminal counts. He was charged with four counts of sexual battery, four counts of procuring lewd exhibition, one count of burglary in the first degree, one count of stalking, four counts of forcible oral sodomy, and two counts of rape in the first degree. Now, I'm going to get into the specifics of these charges here in just a minute, but I think it goes without saying that any one of these charges would have been really serious, let alone all 16 at one time. Oh, exactly. Uh, as I've said before, some of them carry up to life in prison. And as we know, these 16 charges are going to eventually double to uh, 36 total charges. I know we've talked about this a bit in the past, but remind the listeners, is it uncommon for someone to be initially charged with X number of counts and then for that number to just keep going up like it did in this case? It is not very uncommon. Um, what happens a lot in the beginning is they have an X number of witnesses or X number of uh, victims. And then as more information comes out, or if it's on the news, as we've said before, more victims come forward, more witnesses come forward, or they have more information that they've, they've received. 
and then that can change the number of charges and to do that they have to do what's called amending the information and this ended up being four different amendments to the charges till they got the 16. Now during your time at the DA's office as a as an assistant prosecutor do you recall any one defendant having this many serious felony criminal charges filed against them especially of a sexual nature? Usually when there are charges of a sexual nature, there will be more than one because usually with that situation, there's commonly more than one victim. Um, But to have this many of this type of charges is, is very unusual. While the alleged victims and their allegations are hopefully still fresh in your mind, I want to quickly go over which charges are attributed to which accuser. Counts one, three, four, five, and six all stem from 41-year-old accuser Tabitha Barnes and consist of one count of sexual battery, one count of burglary in the first degree, two counts of procuring lewd exhibition, and one count of stalking. I discussed Barnes and her claims back in episodes 11, 12, and 13. Count two, procuring lewd exhibition is attributed to accuser Carla Raines. I discussed her allegations in episodes 15 and 16. Count seven, sexual battery, is in reference to accuser Florine Mathis, whom I covered in episode 10. Counts eight and nine, forcible oral sodomy and rape in the first degree, were in response to accuser Rosetta Great's allegations that I detailed in episodes 19 and 20. Counts 10 and 11, forcible oral sodomy and rape in the first degree, stem from accuser Sherry Ellis and her assertions that she was raped by, quote, a short, dark-skinned black male. I covered her allegations in episodes 8 and 9. Count 12, forcible oral sodomy, refers to allegations made by accuser Terry Morris. I discussed her case in episodes 5 and 6. Counts 13 and 14 are both sexual battery charges alleged by accuser Carla Johnson. Those details were discussed in episode 14. Lastly, counts 15 and 16, procuring lewd exhibition and forcible oral sodomy are attributed to Janie Liggins and are the -the off-the-clock traffic stop that started this entire investigation. I covered those allegations in detail in episodes 1, 2, 3, and 4. You can read the charging documents in their entirety on this episode's homepage at HoltzClawTrial.com. On September 3, 2014, just four days after charges were filed and almost two weeks after being arrested and held on a $5 million bond, Officer Holtzclaw's attorney, Scott Adams, was granted a hearing on a motion to reduce Holtzclaw's bond. Fortunately for Holtzclaw, the hearing was not in front of the judge who originally set his bond and was instead heard by Oklahoma County Judge Timothy Henderson. The four-page motion for bond reduction and supporting documents are posted on this episode's homepage at HoltzClawTrial.com. In short, Mr. Adams argued that the Oklahoma County bail schedule called for a much more modest bond of only $139,000, and that Holtzclaw had an impeccable reputation and strong ties to the community. The state, however, argued that Officer Holtzclaw should be held to a higher standard, was a menace and an ongoing danger to society, and that more alleged victims were still being sought out. In the end, Judge Henderson lowered Officer Holtzclaw's bond from $5 million to $500,000. 
The following is the news coverage from KWTV News 9, as reported by Kelly Ogle, Amanda Taylor, and Lisa Monahan. Here's an update for you. The Oklahoma City police officer accused of sexually assaulting several women while on duty. Well, he is no longer behind bars. 27-year-old Daniel Holtzclaw posted a $500,000 bond, and our Lisa Monahan was there with cameras rolling as Holtzclaw walked out of the Oklahoma County Jail. And Lisa, he is now wearing an ankle monitor, too. Well, Kelly, yes, Daniel Holtzclaw is on house arrest, and he will be until he goes to trial, but that could be a long way off from now. So for now, his attorney is just glad to get him out of jail. Mr. Holtzclaw, what's it like being on the other side of the law? Is there any truth to these accusations? Oklahoma City police officer Daniel Holtzclaw is accused of using his badge to get sexual favors. Eight women claim Holtzclaw fondled them or forced them to perform sex acts while on patrol in northeast Oklahoma City. The district attorney filed several criminal charges against Holtzclaw, including allegations of sexual battery, indecent exposure, forced oral sex, rape, stalking, and first-degree burglary for allegedly entering one victim's home. Due to the shocking allegations against the officer, his bond was initially set at $5 million. But prominent Oklahoma City defense attorney Scott Adams convinced the judge to reduce that amount to 500000 Why is that so important? Well, it's important for Daniel to be out here and be able to help us to assist in his defense. Holtzclaw does not have complete freedom. Strict limitations have been placed on where he can go. If he's not here at his attorney's office, then he's required to stay at his father's house in Enid. Adams insists Holtzclaw is not a danger to the public. And he denies he's done anything wrong, and now it's time for us to start putting our case together. So we're looking forward to it. Where do you start with that? We're going to start next week going through all the paperwork. Well, he picked up his GPS monitoring device immediately after his release. Now, at least one of the alleged victims tells us she is not happy about this conditional bond. She says it's not fair to those he allegedly stalked. Live in the newsroom, Lisa Monahan, News 9. I recently sat down and spoke to Holtzclaw's bail bondsman, Bo Adams, with Rhino Bail Bonds. Bo Adams is also Holtzclaw's defense attorney, Scott Adams' brother. Generally, uh, once somebody's been arrested or put into custody, uh, generally they will have either a family member, they'll either call me from the jail or have a family member give me a call. Uh, depending on what the bond is set at, let's say it's a $5,000 bond, uh, generally, I'll have somebody that can co-sign for, for the uh, uh, person that's in custody, and they'll generally pay somewhere around 10% for that bond, uh, come into my office, fill out some paperwork to get all the process started. Uh, then I go over to the uh, uh, jail facility, post the bond, and start securing their release. And to back up just a bit, how is it determined how much bond someone's going to have to post? Generally, the charges will determine that. Uh, they do have a bail schedule, which kind of uh, pairs the charges with a certain bond amount that's kind of been used uh, quite a bit over the years. For felony cases, what typically is a bond amount that you tend to see in Oklahoma County? Usually felony cases, depending on, you know, DUIs will start usually around $2,500 if it's a felony DUI. Uh, they've kind of lowered that a little bit recently, and most of it has been uh, charged as misdemeanors. But most of the felonies uh, will start between around 2500 to 5000 Now, in an Officer Holtzclaw's case, his initial bond, which was set by uh, Judge Trong, it was set at $5 million. 
Had you ever seen a bond that high? No, never. And not only was it $5 million, it was $5 million cash only. So no, a bond would not have even been able to have been uh, uh, written for that bond at that time when it was first set. So when his bond was, when he was first arrested and he was arrested on a $5 million cash bond, you couldn't even have helped helped his family out at that point no and the amount of you know and even if it would have been a, a bondable uh, uh you know charges there's no way that uh, very few people in this world could have been able to secure even even if they would have had the five hundred thousand uh, dollars insurance companies and the places that kind of underwrite what we do would have never accepted something unless they had unbelievable collateral so five million was was basically no bond exactly now, eventually, his bond got reduced, and it got reduced to five hundred thousand. Um, but that's still substantial. So even in a case like that, at five hundred thousand, the uh, the defendant or their family's going to have to come up with somewhere around fifty thousand. But then they still have to secure the remainder if this defendant was to flee or or something was to happen to them. Yes, correct. There's some sort of collateral that has to be placed up, whether that be property or uh, even cash in some cases. So in, in something like this, not only it could be Daniel, it could be any defendant, you're probably going to reach out to friends, family, most likely. Not only you asking them to help you come up with $50,000, which my understanding is you don't get that back. Correct. The 10% or whatever we end up charging for the uh, premium on the bond is, is non-refundable. And generally, if you've got a client that can afford their own bond, they do get that money back. So if it was a, if they would have been able to come up with half a million dollars, once his case was concluded, regardless of the outcome, they would still get that. They, the court would return that money to them. But if you put up your all's fee as a non-refundable fee, even if the case gets resolved a couple of days later or a year later, the fee is what the fee is. Correct. And then on top of that, I'm assuming family then has to put up property or things of that nature that if something was to happen, um, that they could somehow secure the the remainder of that $450,000 they might have to come up with if, say, Daniel or any defendant just took off and ran. Yes, yes, they, yeah, absolutely. Um, so in this case, and in general, a $500,000 bond means coming up with about $50,000 and you never get that back and putting up collateral or otherwise agreeing to be liable for the entire 500,000 um, should Daniel, you know, and it isn't just that Daniel would go on the run, something that you all, you and I have talked about previously that can happen is you get someone who's facing very serious charges and it becomes overwhelming regardless of their guilt or their innocence. They decide to go out in some rural area and commit suicide. And if that body isn't found, the family or whoever signed for that bond would be on the hook for the total amount, would they not? Yes, that's correct. And as a good example, after we'd spoken before, I had a client in Florida that had missed court on a uh, on a ten thousand uh, that uh, had not not committed suicide, but had been killed, and uh, we had to pay on it, but. Uh, because it takes also it took a lot since he was in Florida it took almost two months for me to get his death certificate so during that time we had to pay the forfeiture fees and uh, obviously we we're able to get that money returned to us but uh, once we were able to prove that that he was deceased but uh, you know it's just things that you know his body wasn't found for a couple of weeks and uh, you know that one uh, it's an unfortunate situation but at least the money was being able to be returned 
So it's not it's not a minor thing when you go to a family member or friend and you ask them to basically sign on your bond. I mean, they're they're putting a lot at stake by doing that. Yes, and uh, I've seen you know people that you would never think would uh, disappear, run off. That those things do happen, and you feel terrible for the family members that are taking a risk on on uh, those uh, uh, defendants and people that are that are trying to stay out. And these people have really gone above and beyond to help them uh, secure their freedom. I'm assuming most people's biggest asset is their home if it's paid for, especially if you go to an older parent. They, they literally could lose their house if that defendant decides to take off. Yes. Yeah. Um, and in this case, with Officer Daniel Holtzclaw, it wasn't just a matter of him posting the roughly 10% of 500000 and securing the rest. His release also came with a lot of conditions, did it not? Yes, and most of those were set by the court. And I'm going to post at this episode's homepage at holtzclawtrial.com the actual court document that shows all of his conditions and all the things he had to do um, while he was out on this $500,000 bond. But do you happen to, off the top of your head, remember what a couple of those main conditions were? Yes, he was under home confinement, uh, obviously, or the GPS monitoring system. Uh, he could not leave the, most of the time they'll be on that, but his were a little bit more, uh, his was a little bit more detailed in the fact that the only places he could go were to his attorney's office or a doctor or medical, uh, provider. But even then he still had to call court services before he left the monitoring part of it and let them know that he was leaving the house and then also had to return that phone call once he returned back to the house to let him know that he was back in. Uh, so, you know, and then obviously, uh, well, being under home confinement, he was really limited in, in any of his uh, communications and things that he was able to do. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, basically he was just completely confined to, the, in, you know, their house and uh, the backyard area, and that was it. And when you say they, uh, a lot of people don't realize his home confinement was he moved back to his parents' house, which is in a city just outside of, back to his hometown um, in Enid. And he, he moved back in with his mom and dad because uh, he was living in an apartment here in Oklahoma City, but he had obviously lost his ability to make a living, those sorts of things. And, and I believe the court also just wanted to know there were people keeping an eye on him. Um, and so he went back to, uh, to live with them and, and had very limited movement. Is it, is it pretty standard that if someone's out on a large bond, it's also going to come with a lot of conditions? Yes, but his, and again, I don't remember every single thing that was on there, I, you know, and I'll definitely look back over all that, but his was, I mean, it was extensive in the fact of how many times he had to call to check in. Uh, you know, he was very closely monitored. I know that sounds silly being on a GPS monitoring system, but uh, but they had him pretty locked down, uh, as, as locked down as any client I've ever had. Uh, and I understand the charges were incredibly serious, but uh, but it, it, there was a lot of things that he had to do to, to besides just wearing the, the monitoring uh, ankler. And the, and the things like the GPS ankle monitor and all of those things, those come at additional cost to the defendant, do they not? Yeah, and his was actually a little bit more expensive. Uh, generally, they run about three to three eighty uh, a month uh, for the monitoring, and I believe his was closer to five twenty or five thirty. It was a little bit more expen- a little bit more expensive. So, not only do you have the uh, posting of the bond, your attorney fees that are going to start piling up at this point, but then just to abide by the conditions put on the court, you're looking at another five hundred plus dollars a month. Yes. It gets expensive quickly. Real fast. And you haven't been convicted of anything yet. No. Um, 
And what can happen if you do violate these conditions? What are, what's the penalty? Uh, generally, if uh, while he was, you know, if, when you're on monitoring, if you violate, uh, they'll get a report. Uh, usually, in a case like his that was so high profile, the report happened very fast. Uh, other clients that I've had it would generally take a you know a week or so before the courts would do anything. His was almost immediate uh, when he had a violation, but they'll the the monitoring company reports to court services, lets them know there was a violation. Uh, they in turn would let the uh, judge know that there was a violation and then they would set uh, a time and a date for him to go have to report back to the judge to uh, either add on more restrictions or have to actually really be punished for for the violations and kind of what you alluded to is something that we're going to get into in a future episode but unfortunately daniel holtzclaw not only violated the conditions of his bond but he did it he did it twice correct um but in general when people violate you're looking at either some time in jail maybe an increased bond or maybe even having your bond revoked altogether yes when bond was getting set up for holtzclaw did you go and meet with him while he was in the county jail or did you meet with him after he was released i met with him i actually drove him back uh, to enid uh, after he was released I, I took him from from oklahoma city back to enid uh, since I would normally go meet with them, but since my brother Scott was handling the case, uh, you know, I felt that uh, I, that was kind of an unnecessary. Plus, I'd met with the family, uh, which really are the ones you're, I mean, you're dealing with the defendant, but in this case, there was a lot of family involvement. And and you've met with lots of defendants charged with all kinds of things. Some were guilty, some were innocent, uh, but you got to spend some time with Holtzclaw driving him back right after he's been released. Just not that it makes any difference one way or the other whether or not he's guilty or innocent what was kind of your impression of him what was his demeanor during that drive what do you recall about it the, you know the first drive back he was actually very personable uh, came across as a, a very genuine uh, young man uh, you know i think it, i think it was more even though he would he had been in there for a little bit he uh, did not seem I, I think he felt it was just uh, this was all a huge mistake is the is kind of the 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 feeling that I got out of the deal, uh, but uh, had a very pleasant conversation with him. And again, it, uh, you know, I know people have dark sides and everything else, but I did not get one feeling at all that this was a, a guy that had a nefarious side to him or, or was out doing these things that he was accused of. Uh, I felt he was a very well-spoken, uh, upbeat young man that just really felt like he was caught in a tornado of, you know, that it was out of control, just a big storm that he couldn't control. Would you probably consider him to be one of your most high-profile clients? Yes, but it's the largest. That's the largest bond I've ever uh, written, and uh, uh, to this day, I've I've done some other large ones, but nothing even remotely in that neighborhood. Now, um, and we've alluded to it, and we're going to talk about it in a later episode that he did have two violations, and we'll get into all the details, and I'll publish the court paperwork regarding those. But those two things aside, about how long was he on bond with you? He was on bond from, I believe, I believe we had him on bond for about four to five months, somewhere in there. Okay. And did he, other than his couple of bond violations, um, which was actually issues he had with the court, not with you, did you ever have any issues with him, problems with him checking in, anything like that? No, nothing at all. He he would call and even call on non-check-in uh, days just uh, and actually like I said spoke to his family quite often uh, his father and uh, you know so no I, I, I've never had a real fear that there was anything uh, you know kind of as we'd spoke to before there were some other issues that came up but it was 
but now he was a very good client. On September 15th of 2014, Oklahoma City Police Officer Daniel Holtzclaw made bond and walked out of the Oklahoma County Jail under very tight restrictions and house arrest. One of the few places he was allowed to go was his attorney Scott Adams' office in downtown Oklahoma City. Holtzclaw was allowed to drive from his parents' house in Enid every Thursday and spend the entire day assisting in his own defense. It's at this time that I was first contracted by Mr. Adams to look over evidence thus far and try to figure out if Holtzclaw was most likely guilty of any of the allegations, and or whether or not there was any evidence of collusion amongst his accusers. Eventually, I was retained by Officer Holtzclaw himself and asked to be more involved in preparing for his inevitable jury trial. Ten days later, on September 16, 2014, another woman comes forward. Like accuser Sherry Ellis, this woman too claims she was taken to the same abandoned school and raped. But those details are for the next episode. If you want to see all of the police reports, court documents, news reports, and more used to compile this episode, please visit this episode's homepage at HoltzclawTrial.com. This serialized podcast of the state of Oklahoma versus Daniel Holtzclaw follows the timeline and perspective of the prosecution but with the scrutiny of the defense. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and give us a five-star review. You can also follow updates on this season's Facebook page at In Defense of Daniel Holtzclaw or on Twitter and Instagram at Holtzclaw Trial. Bates Investigates Season 1, In Defense of Daniel Holtzclaw is researched, produced, and edited by me, Brian Bates. This has been a Bug Stomper production. Bugs. <laughs>